Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. On Sunday, Manchester United made it three Premier League wins in a row. Manchester United still the lead. Scott McTominay bounces off the bench and makes the difference again. So has Eric Ten Hag's side finally clicked into gear? Or is this just another false dawn before sweeping changes at Old Trafford in the summer? I'm Ayoa Mulere. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. With us today, we have the Athletics' Adam Crafton and Manchester United writer Laurie Whitwell as well. Look, Manchester United winning away at Aston Villa 2-1. Not an easy place to go this season. Fourth successive win for Manchester United. This is their best run of the season. How convinced are we by this resurgence? Let, actually, let's go for the voice of pragmatism. Adam Crafton. Uh, well, it's better. The results are better. You know, they haven't won against a top nine team away from home, I think, in the entirety of Eric Ten Hag's reign. Is that right, Laurie? Yeah. Um, so you know you have to take it as as progress. The you know the, the striker that they signed for a lot of money in the summer, Rasmus Hoyland, has started scoring goals. So that's definitely progress. They've got some players back from injury, but now some players are sort of falling away with injury again. But you know they're starting to look like some sort of team. And I think there's always a bit more promise when you have young players who are performing well. So when you see Hoyland and Garnacho and Mainu. I think they've sort of brought a bit of life and direction and some sort of direction towards the future. At the same time, you know, they're still sixth. Um, they're still six points behind Tottenham. I know it's still sort of what, just over halfway through the season, but it feels like Tottenham have been at least the fourth best team in the league this season. So I think United still have a lot to do to to recover that. Uh, fifth place may be enough. So I think, look, I mean, it, it's a bit better you have to balance it by saying it's probably the best time to play Villa compared to the first half of the season where they were, you know, their home record has been pretty unbelievable for a year or so. They've now lost against Chelsea and Newcastle and Man United. And Villa was still the better team, I thought, for most of the game. Yes, they made better chances. So, yeah, results are better. Performances, I think, had to be better, you know, when you set it against some of the ones in the first half of the season, but still kind of a lot of kind of confusion over, you know, what Manchester United looked like at the start of the 2024-25 season. Yeah, and they're scoring again, Laurie, though. 13 goals scored in four games. I mean, it's not bad. And as Adam pointed out, Hoyland, finally, this duel that was bought into Manchester United to provide goals is actually doing the business. I thought it was a really sharp finish as well on reflection it looks simple enough, right? Live uh, in the first instant, but actually he puts it through Emi Martinez's legs. He, he takes his time with it, doesn't sort of rush it, which okay is perhaps easy to do from two yards out. You know, you should be scoring those ones, but he also sort of seemed to be in the right place for it. I, I do wonder if it was a you know very much a set 
piece routine from the training ground. Um, you know, Harry Maguire, get your head on it. I mean, it's quite simple, isn't it? But yeah, it worked in that moment. And yeah, I mean, Hoyland has scored in uh, five Premier League games in a row. Um, so he's the youngest player since Nicholas and Elka to do that. Um, so I think that's a really positive sign of, of what he can produce when he has got the ball at his feet. I think players haven't been looking to pass to him enough prior to this point. He also came into the club with a bit of a back injury and, and didn't have a proper pre-season with Atalanta, didn't have any you know, really with Man United. So that was always something that was going to take a bit of time to overcome. And then also just getting used to the Premier League, you know, the speed of it. He blitzed uh, the Champions League to begin with. So obviously that, you know, he's had a bit of experience with European football before. So that perhaps shows that that wasn't too much of a step up for him. But yeah, the Premier League is just a different rhythm, isn't it? A different kind of defenders that you come up against. Um, the speed of it is you know, frenetic. I mean, last night at Villa Park, it was chaotic uh, for the most part. And that's where Villa seemed to thrive, you know, in those moments of high intensity, overwhelming teams. I mean, that's how they beat Man City. Um, so I do, I do totally take Adam's point on board that it does have to be a little bit guarded, the enthusiasm around United, because there's a, a fragility to their team and, and how they play. Particularly if you take out someone like Luke Shaw, I think that's a real big blow when he came off at half-time as a precaution. But then again, there is also, it seems, a resilience now about United, a bit more grit. I don't know if that's to do with the change in ownership with Ineos coming in and their players having a bit more sense of purpose about what they're doing um, or whether it's just a case of them actually pulling themselves together and thinking, come on, we need to at least work as hard as the opposition to, to get results in this league. Yeah, I want to talk about Ineos a little later on, but um, 10 points from four games in the Premier League since the turn of the new year. Is it realistic to say the Champions League hopes are still alive for Manchester United, real talk. Because you said Tottenham have technically been the fourth best team, you know, realistically in the league so far. Yeah, I mean, they've got, what, 14 games left and it's six points to recover against teams that, you know, they're not teams that are going to win every match, Tottenham and Aston Villa. So, you know, I would think if Man United win 11 of those games, they would get top four. Whether they're capable of doing that, I'm not sh- I'm not sure. And they've still got to go to Man City. They've still got to go... Chelsea, they've got Liverpool Chelsea. at home. Still got to play Arsenal, uh, still got to go to Brighton. So I, I think United probably do need to win 10 or 11 games. But, you know, the, the upside I think that they have at the moment is, you know, they do have players back fit. They do have basically one game a week for most of the season because they're out of Europe. So I think that plays into their hands. But also it may be okay to finish fifth. That's the other bit of this. That That's what I've been clinging on to, Adam. Yeah, I think it's I think it's what Eric Ten Hag's clinging on to as well. <laughs> and and everyone who counts, you know, the money at Manchester United. So, you know, Aston Villa, you know, the way they're dropping points at the moment, I mean, that could be surmountable in the space of two or three weeks, right? The way that the way that they're going. I, th- I think it's quite open, to be honest, if if it's fifth place. I think if it's fourth, I think that's more difficult. Tottenham, I think, are a far better side in terms of, you know, their ability to just get over the line. But yeah, I mean, certainly United shouldn't be let off the hook in the sense of, you know, they're six points off with 14 games to go when they've got a squad that's worth a billion. I want to talk about Scott McTominay and I didn't think I'd be starting this podcast and looking at Scott McTominay as Manchester United's top scorer in the Premier League with seven goals, which is amazing. Super Scott. But Laurie, am I right in thinking that this is a player that was looking to be maybe shipped out over the summer, him and Maguire together, and now really is the one showing the grit in the dying minutes in games and popping up with very, very important goals for Manchester United this season. 
Yeah, I mean, both of those players have had really fascinating arcs uh, at United generally, but also particularly this season since last summer, uh, because, yeah, both were available. I think Maguire was more of one that, you know, they United were perhaps looking to sell because he wasn't in the team and, and maybe they could have reinvested the money. And, and West Ham made a bid that they accepted, £30 million. And it just came down to the fact that Harry Maguire had a, a good contract at United and that needed to be sorted out before he was going to move to West Ham. And also, I think really deep down, he probably just wanted to stay at United and felt that he would actually have this opportunity to come back into the team and, and do what he's doing right now. But your question was about Scott McTominay. United's price for him was higher, was something like £40 million plus. I don't think they were ever really looking to... They know that with financial fair play, PSR, it's important to get money in. But I don't think they were sort of showing McTominay the door just purely because, as Ten Hag touched on last night, the kind of presence that he has around the place is essential for what Ten Hag's trying to do because he is that disciplinarian. He wants players that are kind of committed in training every day that don't mind doing the tasks that he sets them out to do. And a really interesting um, quote I thought after the game was him saying that McTominay is ready for one minute or ready for 90 minutes. And the kind of sense that he was saying was that this is a a rare thing in in modern football where you've got players that kind of just want to be the starter every week. And if they're not, then they're going to get the hump. McTominay clearly in this specified role for United is dangerous. You know, he, he he scored seven goals this season. They've been worth 12 points to United. So every single time he scored, it's kind of had an influence on the game. And I think that's a little bit to do with United not being great at scoring goals and not winning matches by, you know, three, four goals. But at the same time, it still takes a certain skill to produce in these, you know, really tense moments. I mean, last night, it's a great cross from Diogo Dallo, but it does require a good header from McTominay. So I think Ten Hag's recognised that he does provide those qualities, breaking into the box, kind of supporting Hoyland. Sometimes they do look like they're kind of in the same areas and it maybe is a bit confusing and, and Hoyland needs a bit more space on his own. But actually last night, it meant that Villa's defenders had two strikers basically to occupy and they didn't get it quite right and, and McTominay benefited from it. But I think, yeah, Ten Hag seems to really admire McTominay as a person and, and as a player and then yeah in these specific moments sending him on as a substitute he's going to go in you know all guns blazing and, and try and make a difference. It's like he's finally realised McTominay isn't actually the player that he thought he was. When Ten Hag first came in if you remember he was ahead of Casemiro for the first few weeks Casemiro was at the club as, as a holding number six and that's kind of where Solskjaer seemed to see him and, and Mourinho seemed to see him for quite a while and I think it's probably his form for Scotland where he plays a bit more advanced um, and has been getting into the box that's kind of made Ten Hag, in, often in very, very desperate moments, say to McTominay, all right, just get in the box and let's see what happens, right? Well, Brentford was a perfect crystallisation of that because it was, you know, 1-0 down, 90th minute, get in the box. And Maguire was a part of that. Maguire won the knock-on for one of McTominay's, I think the winning goal. So, yeah, it, it, pragmatic. He did it start last season, his first season, when, you know, they obviously had got blitzed at Brentford go long De Gea with your goal kicks. He's clearly done it this season with McTominay. Sorry, I know I cut across you there, Adam, but I'm just really, you know, this this kind of stuff gets me really excited. <laughs> no, but it's, it's, it's interesting because as a deeper midfielder, I think he's a massive problem for the team. In terms of build-up and, and passing? and in, yeah. terms of, in terms of build-up, I don't think he's very good on the half turn. I don't think he's, his, his vision is particularly good. I don't think he's that good actually at tracking runners. Right. In terms, you know, you look at the way United conceded against Nottingham Forest, where it was one of those cutbacks. He's not tracked uh, Gibbs White. So I don't think he kind of fits many of the aspects of the game that you really want from a really top level six or eight. 
But in this kind of, it almost reminds me of what uh, Van Gogh had. You know, he had this vision of kind of... You're going to say, go on, say the name. I'm going to say McFellaney because that is what he reminds me of at the moment, that he is almost simultaneously like a bit of a problem, but also a massive solution. Because I think Ten Hag in his ideal world... See, I know he's spoken about making Man United the best transition team in the world and all of this kind of thing. But I think that an ideal world, Ten Hag, would want a team that builds up through the thirds from the goalkeeper, that plays like his Ajax team did. But McTominay is not built for that. And, and it's a bit like when Van Gogh had Fellaini and Van Gogh probably wanted to play really possession football. And it ended up that he had his best success with Ashley Young crossing it for Marouane Fellaini to head it. And there are echoes of that. At the moment, it'll be really interesting to see what they do in the summer with McTominay because I think his value is probably being quite well protected by the impact he's having. But if you're signing him for another team, what are you signing him as? You know, are you signing him as a as this kind of I don't know, almost like a? I mean, he was basically playing as a front man yesterday. He actually, when you look at the table that he's uh, alongside with, um, you know players that have scored goals that have been meaningful for their teams it's all strikers you know obviously it's Haaland it's Son it's Rich Arlison it's Dominic Solanke so he's 100 million right well there we go if if you're in that bracket and just one really quick thing on the whole position point he actually came through at United as a kind of number 10 as a more advanced player so so Solskjaer it was Jose Mourinho wasn't it that really put him as a, a number six basically told him don't run do this thing that I want you to do because it was a kind of riposte to Paul Pogba, him not having control of him. McTominay did it diligently. Solskjaer kind of continued that. But I think you're right in that maybe Ten Hag's realised that actually he's a different player. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akinwalere. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Adam, I'm just thinking about what kind of it impact in Ineos especially sort of hovering over what's happening right now, what kind of impact that's ha- having on what's happening on, on the pitch. And I think what back in autumn, when analysing Manchester United, you know, you said, you know, it seemed a, a state of uncertainty with a number of interim people in certain roles. Has that investment led, I guess, to, to a bit more clarity behind the scenes? So now we're seeing a bit more clarity, weirdly, on the field as well. Yeah, I mean... It's an easy jump to make, isn't it? You know, from the moment, what was the, the first game under Ratcliffe was the Aston Villa game where United came from 2-0 down and won 3-2. And, and kind of since then, apart from a defeat at Nottingham Forest, it's been pretty good from United. And it's it's kind of easy to make that connection that all of a sudden, you know, there is a bit more stability, there's a bit more direction. I think maybe it's focused, Eric, not just the players, but Ten Hag a little bit as well, because, you know, Ten Hag was under a lot of pressure and maybe he's had to also kind of, 
step up his game a, li- a little bit. I think everyone at the club probably feels as though they are under the microscope, right? As Man United look to make sense of of what their future is and and how that's all going to shake out. I think it was probably good that, you know, everyone knew quite early nothing was going to happen in January, really. So there was no kind of instability that could come with that. But it's also, it's not just in the arse, right? It's corresponded with Casemiro coming back into the team, Rashford coming back into the team, you know, after everything that happened with, with the Newport uh, situation and Luke Shaw's come back. And I think that's helped. Hopefully that injury is not significant. The goalkeeper looks a bit more settled compared to the you know the first couple of months. I think he still I don't know he still drives me mad a little bit with how slow he plays out at times. Really intelligent people keep telling me that this is all about like baiting the press and it means Man United are going to play round people and score amazing goals from it. Yet to see those goals, but there's a funny moment last night where he literally came like about thirty yards out and just waited for ages, and everyone was like. Is is this hap- is this going to be kicked? And then he just ended up kicking it to Bruno, who was like trying to make a, a dart as the last man, and it just went nowhere. Aston Villa got it, and they attacked. Yeah, but he's but he is you know he's making saves, and that that is more important um, as as well. So, but just in terms of the whole Ineos thing, I think it is. I think it has given certainly a bit more energy and purpose to the whole place. And it's always unclear, I think, with football clubs, you know, how much can something like that really filter through to, you know, multi-million pound footballers who are kind of heads in the clouds a little bit? Does all this stuff really matter? I think what it does is it eliminates an excuse. You know, I think previously they might be able to say, oh, all this stuff's going on with the ownership and it's unsettled and it's unclear where the club's going. Well, now actually, you know, you've had Dave Brailsford go in and speak to the players so, and I think the ratification, which is something obviously everyone's waiting for, that should happen, I think, you know, pretty imminently. So, yeah, it gives a sense of direction, a sense of unity, a sense of better things to come. Uh, but I think all of that is underpinned by these young players, the Mainu, Hoyland, Garnacho, that because they are breathing energy and intensity and talent into it, I think he almost says to some of those older guys who are very established, well, come on then. You know, you're meant to be the ones who have done this and leading. Come and join the fun kind of thing. And I think some of them are. Laurie, what kind of effect do you think this will have on, on players like McTominay or, or the Maguires of this world, for instance? Do you see a player, these kind of players fitting into this sort of mode of quote-unquote excellence moving on for a Manchester United under the Ineos group? Yeah, it's a really interesting one, what happens with guys like that. I mean, and, and for all the talk of world-class or best-in-class, there obviously are you know pragmatic realisms about individual player situations so you know Maguire being on a good wage or McTominay uh, having I think a year left on his deal in the summer potential with an, an additional one so you know these are situations that they're going to have to look at and you know boil down to what makes the most business sense as well as you know sporting excellence but I do think that players like Maguire and McTominay have a future because of the way they've shown resilience and grit in, in tough times and maybe they're not ideal for exactly what someone like Eric Ten Hag would want or whatever Ineos might think is, is how United should play but I don't think that discounts them as, as having you know really important roles to play you know there's, there's many different ways to win football matches and you know when United had their glory years there was many different types of players that played for Sir Alex Ferguson um, I do just think as well touching on Adam's point that whilst players are definitely in their own worlds and um, certainly at this level where you know the money kind of almost incubates you from any trauma to to a degree um, in your sporting life. Uh, I do think that having an impetus now has 
galvanise some of the players. I do think that, and it's not intangible because you've got someone like Sir Dave Brailsford there actually having these meetings face-to-face rather than, you know, Joel Glazer over in Florida or, or Washington and, you know, okay, he says this, he's involved in this, but we haven't ever seen or heard from him. Okay, wow, here's a guy who genuinely does have, you know, I know he's not the owner as such, but he's, he's basically, you know, Jim Ratcliffe's right-hand man. He, he is, he's got the power, he's got authority to do stuff. So he's there actually addressing us with a you know background and you know I know there's controversy about what happened with Team Sky and and British Cycling, but he has got a track record of of winning medals at that level. And I think that I think they are kind of transferable those those approaches. So I think that's what is perhaps different than other situations where a club has been taken over and you know we can kind of say that these players you know have responded to that. Adam, you alluded to Eric Ten Hag earlier when you were speaking, and I do think about what you're talking about as well in terms of you know that. There are no excuses now, or there are less excuses now for Manchester United. Does this then proverbially shoot a rocket up to his backside in a weird way? And obviously there's been backing of the manager and publicly, but you have to think this would have a shift in mentality to be like, do you know what? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't blame the regime anymore. I actually have to now start performing on the field if I'm to hold, my, hold on to my job. Yeah, and also the thing to remember is I think if Ten Hag is to stay, which I don't think is impossible at all, he is going to have to accept that his role is going to be far more about being a head coach than being head coach, manager, head of recruitment, head of medical, head of performance, head of PR, head of, you know, all different aspects that the club come across, which it has felt at times like he's been all of those things at once over the past year or so. I think what Ineos are trying to do is, it's not a derogatory thing. I think it is a, we want the head coach to be able to coach. Right, We want to liberate them, really, from those responsibilities, lighten those loads. And that means getting the people who are best in class in performance and medical and recruitment and scouting so that we aren't relying on what may be a slightly more limited skill set for Ten Hag in terms of recruitment, which is basically these are the players I've coached or have come across. You know, That's based on you know the evidence of who United have recruited. And have that as a more club-led enterprise, knowing that the head coach may not stay, right? Like that's how most of these clubs work. You know, the ideal situation is you get something like Klopp or Guardiola where they do stay for eight or nine years and you know they have a, a say into who's recruited and it fits into a style of play. But but if not, you you do need, you know, you can't have situations where you have a, a manager's pick going from one manager to the next to the next, and each time that being the case. So I th- I think that's what I think that that's the likely situation. That's what Ineos are trying to do at the moment. And therefore, it's it's kind of incumbent on Ten Hag over the next few months to show, particularly with the team out of Europe, where he's got a lot more time on the training pitch, to show that he can coach a team and get performances and get a style and patterns. You know, even yesterday, watching Aston Villa play Man United, I still thought Villa looked the better coach side, right? I still thought they had, you know, the attacking patterns and looked a bit more dangerous and more kind of consistency and chance creation and all those different things. You know, I know lots of, you know, for Man United fans who went to that game away from home at Villa Park, who saw a last minute winner, you're not going to care about that. But actually in terms of the broader picture of where Man United under Eric Ten Hag is is going, I think that's something he really has to demonstrate because he managed to show it last year. You know, there were patterns and a kind of a style of play that, that started to come in. But really since... Probably they lost at Liverpool 7-0 in kind of March last year. You've not really seen it. So it may be a bit of confidence. It may be more time on the coaching 
side of it. Yeah. Do you buy that, Laurie? This gives him a bit more time to focus on the coaching as opposed to all the other distractions that he's had to sort of try and piece together whilst he's had this quite turbulent, I'll say, uh, moment at Manchester United. Yeah, for sure. I mean, having no European football wouldn't have been in the plan for sure. Uh, certainly not for the bean counters and you know, certainly not for the fans, you know, that that group that they had in the Champions League, they, they should have got through that. But it does provide a bit of space uh, for United to take a breath and with it being quite a few young players that they've got, you know, Rasmus Hoyland, Alejandro Garnacho, Kobe Meno, actually giving them room to make mistakes on the training pitch and kind of get an understanding. I think that could be really important, actually. Uh, and I think Ten Hag yeah, will hope that that's how the time is spent. But yeah, on Adam's point about the sort of patterns of play and things like that in Villa, they do, they are a very well-coached team. You can, you can tell that. I do think that still Ten Hag, and he spent a lot of money or, you know, the club have spent a lot of money under his um, managerial ship. I don't think he's necessarily got the players in certain positions that he would actually want. So in the end, you've got Martinez being out is a huge blow because it does affect what Andre Onana can then do building out from the back. Do the players that are there at the moment in the back line really want the ball in those pressured situations like Martinez would? I don't know. Casemiro was obviously a kind of late fix in that window to the Frankie de Jong situation. They're, they're different players. He still hasn't got that number six. Even Kobe Mainu, you know, I think he's really, really promising, but he's an 18-year-old. You don't really want to have to rely on him to do that kind of role. And again, he's another player that actually, coming through the academy, was was played at centre-forward and played as a wide player. So it's not like he's been doing this role for years and years and years. So I do feel like there should be some... Yeah, sort of latitude given for the players that Tenag is able to to pick to to then sort of try and, and do his his um style of play. Notwithstanding, there are some moments in the final third where you're thinking players are clearly taking it upon themselves to to have a run and a shot. You know, Garnacho did it a couple of times, Rashford did it a couple of times. Maybe that's what Tenag's asked them for. Maybe that's them just wanting to flex their muscles a little bit and, and get on the score sheet if they can. But I do think that's probably a, a fair criticism that you can sort of uh, go at Ten Hag about. I think Garnacho, Garnacho is the like super exciting one in that he seems like he is... There's been a few moments in the past few weeks where he's had shots that have just got you know just gone wide, like that where it opens up. For, you know, he's dart, let's say he darted past about four players and then curled it just wide. He's, it feels like he's done that three or four times over the past month or so, and, and you feel like if the penny drops with him in that way, and, and you know you're setting him a really high bar there. In some, you know, what eighteen, nineteen himself, and he's already playing at a really high level. But if he can just get that consistency in the final third. United have a player there that that could do anything really. So I think that's exciting, and I think Hoyland's exciting. You know, watch Hoyland, and even when he wasn't scoring in the Premier League, he wasn't playing badly. You know, I don't. We were never doing podcasts where I think you maybe I'm wrong, but I think you'll struggle to go back to our back catalogue and find. You know, there's a lot. Yeah, someone of, clip this out, please, of, of Adam slagging off Hoyland, saying he's never going to make it. There's a lot of clips and tweets that could make me look really stupid. Three months on, <laughs> That's, this isn't one of them. <laughs> I don't think. I don't think with Hoyland we ever said, you know, there's not a player there. I think yeah, we were always yeah, of the view agree. like he's being put into a situation that's just a bit unfair, right? As a twenty and the personality, yeah. the character that he's got is is remarkable, really, for the age that he is. You know, I guess it's that sort of Danish Scandinavian approach. You know, liberal um, sort of upbringing. Uh, Peter Michael spoke about that in the in the Sunday Times piece on him at the weekend. But you can just see how much he loves playing for United. He wanted to play for United above all other clubs. Yeah, he's yeah. like that. He's like that kind of gap year student in a club that's just having like almost too much of a good time all the time. 
right? Like he is just absolutely loving it. You're thinking 100%. back to your own gap year, aren't you, Adam? I literally just got wind of Adam out clubbing like in his youth, <laughs> just loving it. I want to be out a, co- so much. a couple of years ago. It was, I think. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, I'm not that old. <laughs> This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. You're listening to The Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akimole. You've talked about some really interesting young young players, actually, and, and we spoke about McTomey and also Maguire as well. And I just want to pick up on quick one in terms of how United are going to move forward this with this squad. Because, you know, Eric Ten had said, you know, especially around building a foundation for young players, he says, we are now building a team that can really offer a foundation for young players to come in. We build the foundation that you can add quality players to the squad and also take the team to the next level. And look, Man United have always been able to include young players in their squad but is that what we are now seeing now and don't get me wrong it's only a few games but does it feel as if these young players are here to stay but also flourish to develop in the next two three years where we're going to see them actually leading Manchester United to the next level we have this question all the time don't we but I really do feel like with Maynou, Garnacho and Hoyland that those three have got the quality I think the personalities as well I mean certainly Maynou is very calm very intelligent learns really well Garnacho was probably one that I thought is he going to be too flashy too kind of I am the guy too, too egotistical I suppose because you, you know he's definitely got that aura about him but I actually have come to think that he's and from watching his performances, he is taking on board advice and he is learning and he is developing, becoming more of a, an all-round forward. Uh, and, you know, he's become a father at 18. So he's he's clearly got, you know, a sense of grounding in his life. He's, you know, he's very um, settled with his family. So um, I, do, I do think that maybe I got that wrong and or maybe he's learned. And, and then Hoyland, yeah, as, as I've touched on, I think he's got a really, really strong character. So I think those three are some, some you know, elite talent that you can build a team around and then yeah if you can add a few more it's, it's difficult you don't want to throw a young player into a mix particularly as it has been at United where it's been sort of turmoil for it always seems very close to to plunging into that kind of territory but I, I do feel that, that you know with those guys there you need the right personalities I mean that, that was what the class of 92 were given when they came through they had serious professionals to kind of learn from and, and you know get a bit of roasting from to be honest it was a hard environment to come into so I think if you can kind of cultivate that at United that that's going to be you know hugely beneficial to the club it reminds me a little bit of when Arsenal started building a team around you know Saka and Martinelli and uh, it was Smith Rowe wasn't it at the time who, who was coming against the team it's almost like the wrong way around normally you would want a kind of a base of really solid first team players and then you kind of add a sprinkle of young players that you introduce in 
slowly to it and a bit like you know maybe Liverpool are doing with Conor Bradley or Man United did with the class of 92 this is not the way round that you'd want it right that you have kind of the kids setting the standards and then you're trying to add the the experience to it but it's worked for Arsenal right that way like it kind of gave them somewhere to go off and then build from there so I don't think it necessarily means it's wrong um it, it's just not the way that we've kind of seen it historically yeah, does he also, I mean, I think it was Ten Hag was saying um, he, he feels like Maynard's uh, progression will be accelerated by playing side by side with Casemiro. Do you, do you buy that argument? Is Casemiro at that optimum? He, I mean, <laughs> he's a good player, but his, his United experience I mean, it, so far. He'll develop his physicality and they'll have to do two people's running for, for the next six months. I kind of feel sorry for both of them because, I mean, Laurie, you watch them every week, you know, every week in person. I sort of see them much more on TV, but it always looks to me as though if you just put Mainu next to Casemiro, that it would kind of just make Casemiro's life a hell of a lot easier. Because at the moment, he has Mainu kind of that little bit more advanced, almost as an eight, and Fernandez quite high as well as an eight. And it means there's like this huge space across midfield that I think it would make that even Rodri would struggle a bit with the space that is left. And you saw Jacob Ramsey yesterday really, really cutting across that. But clearly Ten Hag is very wedded to this setup. He doesn't seem to want to change it at all. I think he, yeah, because he's, he's trying to get goals into his team. You know, obviously the United have been one of the poorest scorers this season. So if you just have maybe two guys, so there's, there's moments clearly where Maynou goes forward in search of trying to, you know, affect the game in the final third. I, I, yeah, I just, I just think maybe Casemiro, he, he definitely has been a victim of the system at times, but he also feels like he's not quite at that, you know, sharpness that he was last season. I mean, he actually got booked again against Villa, but unfortunately so this time, because I was going to say... Unfairly. Yeah, he didn't really touch him. Uh, but in terms of, you know, Mainu learning off him, AO, I, yeah, I, I probably would say don't slide in as much as he seems to have done in England. I don't know where this has come from, but every single game there's like a kind of scissor tackle that kind of, yeah, seems to get him booked. But but, but to be fair, they've, they've apparently they've got a really good relationship, Casemiro and, and Mainu. Because we identified Maynou early on as someone that was, you know, really good to, you know, to perhaps cultivate and and bring on. It was just unfortunate that in pre-season they played six minutes together uh, against Real Madrid. Then Maynou got injured and he was out for such a long time. Then Casemiro was injured. So this is only the I don't know fourth maybe game that they've started together. So that should develop in terms of what Adam's saying. Maybe in time, you know, Casemiro will just say to me, you know, please just stay here next to me and yeah, we'll be okay. All right. We talked about, you know, the stream of successive wins that Manchester United are currently on. Let's look ahead to what looked like some pretty tricky fixtures. And we always say, are, are the next fixtures favourable for Manchester United? I don't know what favourable fixtures are in the Premier League anymore, really. I'm looting away. Um, Fulham at home, Nottingham Forest away in the FA Cup. But there's still that big, big game against Manchester City on the 3rd of March away at City. Um, we were talking about this earlier that the pressure's really on Manchester City to perform in that game if they're gunning for their fourth Premier League title. But also, you want to see a Manchester United that can hold their local rivals toe-to-toe, Laurie. Yeah, I mean, they have had good success at the Etihad, you know, in sort of, well, certainly under the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And, you know, they've, they've been able to beat City under Eric Tenaga at Old Trafford. Um, but it has been, more often than not, 
sort of soaking up the pressure and then hitting on the counter. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe that's just always going to be the way against City as long as Pep Guardiola's manager for United. I just I don't know if they'll ever in the in the intervening years be able to kind of bridge that gap. I mean, I suppose at Old Trafford, to be fair, under Ten Hag, they, they did go a bit more front-footed and they, they came from behind in that game as well. So that was kind of a pretty startling um, turnaround given, you know, you just think that City, as soon as they get in the lead, they're going to, you know, strangle the life out of you. But yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, it's going to be an interesting occasion because, I mean, if they can come away from that with, with a positive result of any kind, then that does really change the perspective on, on this season for Ten Hag. Um, but you do sort of worry from a United perspective that with De Bruyne back, with John Stones back, with Phil Foden firing, with Erling Haaland back, whether they're, they're going to get another, and it was a chastening um, experience for United under Ten Hag at the Etihad in their first season. So um, he, he, yeah, he, he has to do much better than that this time. I don't think they should focus. I mean, it sounds mad not to focus too much on the City game, but just win the games you're expected to win and then take it from there. You know, I think even that Luton game next week away from home won't be easy, right? We've seen that with the way that Liverpool struggled there and Arsenal and I think Man City went a goal down there as well. So it's very much the kind of banter era Man United kind of day that you could envisage being, you know, complex for them. Um but at the same time, you know, I do have the sense with them at the moment that I don't want to don't want to sort of jinx them. But you have the sense that they're just sort of building a little bit of momentum. So I would think they might be okay at Luton, uh, <laughs> which feels like a really low bar to leave United with. Yeah, I, th- I think Man United are improving to the extent they'll win at Luton is is as positive as I'm prepared to go. <laughs> That's the headline. A <laughs> uh, Man United fans just a bit sort of used to sort of fall storms because I think you know this time last season you were at Wembley after the Carabao Cup final that was the revolution it was gonna it was gonna kick off from here Eric Ten Hag trophy in hand let's have it you know well I remember I mean I've sort of wrote that silverware basically helps a manager get endorsement for his methods so you know it had you know, he'd broken a few eggs, but, you know, the Carabao Cup showed that an omelette could be made. Um, I, I still think he's had, you know, some, you know, I don't know, uh, some friction with, with certain players on, on certain uh, aspects of his approach. I mean, I think that still stands as like a good afternoon for United fans to look back on. I mean, you know, uh, I had family members there and they, they were buzzing, you know, at the end of it. So again, maybe it's a low bar considering the history of United and the places that they've won trophies at previously. But um, I still think it's a, it was a, it was a positive season for Ten Hag that one and and maybe that should still be factored into the equation when we're coming to this part of the season and, and then yeah with the Ineos uh, view of things what, what are they going to think I still I, yeah I still think ultimately football you know is about silverware and you know he did do his job there you know and, and they're still in the FA Cup you know they could win that uh, you know so there's a there's a chance that this could have a nice sheen at the end of the season but it does it, it feels like a quite a pivotal second half for, for United and for Ten Hag in particular? I think he needs one or two really big days before now and the end of the season. And that might be something daft like winning at Man City. It might be something that matters to the fans a lot. Like when by the time they play Liverpool, that might be a game that could knock Liverpool out of the title race or something like that. And I know that's a pretty low bar for Man United fans to have in terms of stopping Liverpool achieve things. But actually, you know, if he was to have a day like that or even when they play Arsenal later in the season as well, I think that's those are the kind of results that will start to start to build a bit of confidence that actually he's capable of really competing as a top manager. 
Adam, Laurie, appreciate your time. Do not forget to rate and review the podcast. And we'll be back for another episode tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. The producers were Guy Clark, Mike Stavro and Jay Beal. And the executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. To listen to other great athletic podcasts for free, search for The Athletic on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places. The Athletic Football Podcast is an Athletic Media Company production. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.